everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I am flying solo without a net to talk about Denny Villeneuve's Dune. I think I am equally capable and inept to do such an episode, inept because I'm not steeped in the Dune lore. I haven't read Frank Hubert's source novel. I've seen David Lynch's film twice, but that was while binging his entire filmography. And it's my least favorite Lynch film. I'm fairly certain Lynch would agree with that as well. But I am at least somewhat, hopefully, capable of doing this episode because I am obsessed with Denis Villeneuve, with all of his movies. So it'll be fun to look at this current behemoth of a movie while tracing back to Villeneuve's more sort of humble earlier career. I wanted to talk about Dune for a few reasons. The first is... Because I'm not very familiar with the Dune lore, I admittedly, I understood very little of this movie when I saw it opening weekend in an IMAX theater, and it looked great, of course, it sounded incredible, but I I didn't really know who was who or what the hell they were talking about, at least, you know, in the beginning. It, I got that there's Atreides and Arrakis, and I was kind of frustrated by all this, but then something really cool happened, and the movie did something so impressive that it made me not care about the complexities of the story. And like 30 minutes into this thing, Dune finally calms down with all of its exposition, which I understand is necessary, but it calms all that down and it puts Timothy Chalamet and Charlotte Rampling in this dark room together. And it's just them and a small box large enough for Chalamet to fit his hand into. And what happens in this scene and the way Rampling and Chalamet are playing it the way it's shot, dark visuals, creepy-ass sound. It's so compelling, and it's so well done, that the whole movie kind of clicked for me. And I went, okay, I'm watching a Denny Villeneuve movie. I should trust that I'm in good hands and trust that this is taking me somewhere. So while I did enjoy that first viewing, I, I honestly did not fall in love with the movie until I rewatched it for a second time at home on HBO with the subtitles on because that's just what I do. And now that I had a general idea of who everyone was and what everyone was after, I appreciated the movie a lot more. And I think this thing is going to rack up a ton of Oscar nominations and likely win a lot of the technical categories. So that's another reason I wanted to talk about it because I don't know if, if you saw this once in the theater and were like me and were a little confused and have not really wanted to check it out on HBO Max I would really encourage you to do that. It expires really soon on Monday, November 22nd, so there's not much time. I mean, you know it's going to be out for like streaming probably everywhere after that, but I'm just saying if you have HBO Max and want to try to get in another viewing of it, I would recommend it. I mean, obviously Villeneuve like wants us all to watch this on like a thousand foot IMAX screen, but I mean, we have to do what we have to do and... I'm going to get into the movie a little bit. I don't even think you can spoil this thing. Um, I think the biggest spoiler is in the first few seconds when it says Dune Part 1. Because that, you know, obviously suggests that there will be additional parts to this story which have since been greenlit. But I did not know that going in. And the way this movie concludes, it's it's absolutely one half of a story or I, one third. I don't know. I don't know how many of these Villeneuve is going to do. I mean, so that did kind of irk me a little bit that the end is sort of a non-ending, but I also get that's how movies of this size operate today. It's all about 
milking IP. So so I know part two is already supposed to come out October 2023, but I'll be interested to see if there's a part three. And I, I guess he's just going to do all of them back to back to back. And I wondered if he was going to do something like Nolan when he did his Dark Knight trilogy and kind of do a weirder movie in between, which I always thought was kind of a cool thing. So in short about Dune, in in very, very short, like, oh man, this movie's about a young, you know, Jesus-like figure, Paul Atreides, that's Timothy Chalamet, who is, with the help of his noble family, tasked with leading and protecting a dangerous planet, Arrakis. Arrakis is the only place where a valuable source called Spice is located, and a lot of bad people want that shit because, you know, whoever controls the spice controls the universe or like the world or galaxy or, you know, you get it. So I, I know as far as like Dune heads go, that was probably a disturbingly bare plot description. But yeah, there's a ton going on, ton more going on in this movie. I'm sure we'll, there will be in the subsequent movie as well. But, you know, all that lore, backstory, exposition, that was a lot for me to wrap my head around. And I'm not really a fan of the argument of uh, if you read the book, you'd understand the movie or you'd like the movie more. I mean, I think that's kind of the job of the movie. And Dune is steeped in a lot of its own details. So some of the plot mechanics of it were a little hard for me to grasp the first time. I'm only mentioning this because there are also a few unassailable things about the film, particularly the way it looks, sounds, and is acted. All those small things. Hans Zimmer is, I'm, that guy is really just the best at capturing these massive landscapes in such fresh ways. This soundtrack is full of uh, chants, tribal calls, weird shit that just feels appropriate. Uh, his scores are never stale, and that's really, really hard when you're operating at a budget this big with this, these big of movies. Cinematographer Greg Frazier, these are hard shoes to step into because Roger Deakins shot Villeneuve's Prisoners, Sicario, and Blade Runner 2049, and Frazier just seizes this opportunity here. It's like, it's really, by my eyes, only Christopher Nolan and Denis Villeneuve who can make these massive movies with these pretty believable computer graphics and fuse them really well with their practical photography and, you know, Watching Dune, it's like you're not going to get the image of these sandworms, these giant evil bastards that inhabit the planet Arrakis. Uh, you don't get that image out of your head. It's just, it's really, really cool shit. And Joe Walker is the editor of this. And I mean, his credits kind of read like a list of my favorite films from the past 15 years. You have The Hunger, Shame, 12 Years a Slave, Sicario, Arrival, Widow. So just very well assembled. Okay, if you, this is another reason to do this podcast, because if you have seen Dune, but you don't remember seeing Charlotte Rampling before, please go watch some of her work. She is a remarkable performer, case in point here. She's in this movie for like two scenes. She completely steals it, her conviction, her stoicism, that kind of, uh, that evil charm. I mean, her performance literally helped me lean into the movie a little bit more and just appreciate it on its own terms uh the night porter the verdict swimming pool 45 years charlotte rampling is amazing and and everyone else is really game in the movie too rebecca ferguson plays chalamet's mom lady jessica and you know someone like ferguson she's just she's been sneaking in these really good performances for a while now and a few of the recent mission impossible movies she was in life that vicious little space movie that i liked that no one talks about 
Doctor Sleep, of course. That's when people like started talking about her more, which is great. And she owns Duel. She's my favorite part of the whole movie. The second half of this part one is essentially a two-hander with Ferguson and Chalamet. And just a lot of fun to watch. I like them together. I really love characters like Lady Jessica, who are these badasses working behind the scenes, controlling way more than she's letting on. It's just great. Stellan Skarsgård, who is just having an absolute fucking blast as the main villain in this movie. And he's doing a great mix of Brando as Kurtz in Apocalypse Now and Jabba the Hutt. It's just, he has a great line delivery as well. He was, oh man, just chewing the shit out of it and loving it. I just, I always love seeing that guy. Denny Villeneuve. It's clear to me now that Enemy, which is, I I guess, kind of light sci-fi, that graduates to Arrival which graduates to Blade Runner 2049, which now graduates to this massive thing of Dune, which we are going to be getting two, if not three more of. And these are huge, massive movies for Warner Brothers. These are going to be some of their biggest movies of the decade. And I fell in love with Villeneuve in, uh, I will never forget it, in the summer of 2011, when I blind bought a ticket at an indie movie theater for a movie I knew absolutely nothing about. And by the time... The movie was done, my heart was like completely ripped out and then put back together in just one viewing of Incendies or Ensendies. It was nominated for the Best Foreign Film Oscar, and I guess that's how I heard of it. And this is a layered, complex, emotionally brutal family drama. I've talked about it a few times on this podcast. It, it was filmed partly in Canada and partly in Jordan. A lot of it takes place in the Middle East. It doesn't star anyone most American audiences would be familiar with. And it is easily one of the top 10 best films I've seen since it was released. I would recommend not looking up what it is about. Just watch it. Parts of it are tough, but it is, you know, it's an accessible movie. It, it opens with a damn near full Radiohead song. Like, it's not a stuffy movie. It's tricky subject material, but Villeneuve knows what he's doing. And I just, I've been in love with the guy ever since. And I guess by way of talking more about him and wrapping things up here, I'll list my top five Denny Villeneuve films and maybe a little different than some other lists that have been floating around since Dune was released. But, you know, if you go back to before he broke big in America, you're going to find some real, real gold there. Number five for me is Sicario. I, I love all these movies, by the way, even the ones I'm not going to mention. I love his movies. But number five, Sicario. The set pieces in this thing are remarkable. The Juarez trip is top to bottom. Just some of the best, most exciting consecutive 20 minutes of film in the last decade. It had a great cast, and I really wish they'd make the third one, honestly. Number four, Arrival. This movie has way more emotional resonance for me now. I talked about that a lot on our on episode 22, our Amy Adams podcast, and just a great film with a big story that is simply told, and I really, really like it. Number three, here is a, all right, bear with me. 77 minute long, black and white, true story movie about a horrific school shooting that happened in Montreal in 1989. This movie's called Polytechnic, that's named after the school, and it is, it is a tough, tough film. But, you know, I'm not a sadist. I'm not here recommending this stuff if it didn't have a firm point of view and a firm intention and... This movie is, without question, the best film ever made about this subject, and there's one shot that 
it's a seat. You're looking at a sea of victims, but the shot itself is so harshly out of focus that you're not really sure what you're even looking at. So when tricky material like this, which Villeneuve is always playing with, when it's handled well and there's a true artist at work, it can make for a really, really memorable movie. But I mean, thank God it's only 77 minutes. Thank God it's in black and white. Polytechnic. Number two, Villeneuve made two movies with Jake Gyllenhaal in 2013. One of them was Prisoners, which a lot of people saw, and the other is Enemy, which not a lot of people saw. And which one do you think I have here? <laughs> I like both of them again, but Enemy is, uh, it's such like a movie mindfuck masterpiece that I, I still don't think Villeneuve himself has fully figured it out. And it's just this kind of existential, moody, metaphoric, sinister indie movie that I love. I, I feel like they used to make more of them, but they don't really make stuff like this anymore. And, you know, you have Double Jake, which is never a bad thing. And then number one, obviously, is Incendies, which was, you know, an IMDb says released in 2010, but I saw it in America in 2011. Find it if you can. Dune, still in theaters, still on HBO Max until November 22nd. Watch it. Watch Incendies. Watch Polytechnic. Let us know what you think about him at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. And as always, thanks for listening and happy watching. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at what are you watching podcast at gmail.com and of course you can find us on twitter at w-a-y-w underscore podcast next time we're going to talk about our favorite movies of 2011 one of the best single years of movies since we've been alive stay tuned